Welcome. 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 Welcome to Batavia Covenant Church. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. You can find it on page 671 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. From the New Testament, I'll be reading from Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So good to be with you today. I've been thinking about how welcomed I have felt into this community so quickly, so fully. I'm so grateful that you have extended that to me. That is a gift. And it's a gift that people don't always feel. I can remember vividly the loneliest day of my life. It is burned in my memory. Can you remember yours? The loneliest day of your life. I was just 13. It was seventh grade. It was the 80s, so I probably had on a uh, mini skirt and a side pony with a neon scrunchie. And my favorite high top Reeboks. Anybody have those, right? But as I remember, I can almost smell the musty sweat of the gym bleachers we were sitting on. 
I can remember hearing the buzz of voices in the room, but I wasn't part of that buzz because I was sitting alone. My eyes were fixed down on the empty bleacher in front of me. And I remember clenching my teeth and saying silently to myself, don't cry, don't cry. Because middle schoolers thrive on tears. <laughs> you see, the day before, I had unwittingly shown kindness to someone from a rival social group. And my friends wasn't, were not having it. And so that day, I ate lunch alone because they made it clear I wasn't welcome. And after lunch, I sat on those bleachers. My friends were about 20 feet away, and I could hear them talking about me. And they spoke loudly on purpose so I would hear their cutting words. Do you remember your loneliest day? See, that day I actually joined millions of people who have felt mockery or bullying, who have felt rejected and alone. I joined millions of people who felt like an outcast at some point. I joined millions of people who at one point in their life have felt like an underdog, powerless, helpless. Do you remember your loneliest day? Do you remember feeling this way? Decades later, I was talking to a counselor about that day. And tears were streaming down my face as I fully remembered every detail of how that day made me feel and the sting that it left in my soul for years and years and years. And my counselor looked at me and asked a transformational question. She said, Michelle, where was Jesus that day? And I stopped. Where was he? I didn't know him yet. So was he there? I wasn't aware of him. Was he aware of me? Was he attending to more important matters in the world at the time? Was he watching me from heaven? Or was he, as my counselor suggested, sitting right there on those cold wooden bleachers with me? Have you felt the sting of rejection or abandonment? Have you ever felt the despair of being the weak one? Most of us have. And we live in a world that devours the outcast and tosses away the underdog. So through my teen years and my young adult years, I decided that I would try to compensate or cover up the wounds that that left for me. I compensated through performance. See, if I could be the very best at anything, then people might admire me. I became an excellent student. I became an excellent dancer. I also got very people smart 
Because if you can be charming, then people won't reject you. See, in my following years, I learned if you cover up the wound and you try to compensate, then maybe you can get through as an underdog or an outcast. But the reality is that cover-up and compensation don't actually bring healing or freedom, do they? No. But the good news of Jesus has something to say about being an outcast or an underdog, and we find it today in Matthew chapter 4. Because you see, the kingdom of heaven is for all. And that means the kingdom of heaven is for outcasts and underdogs. The kingdom of heaven is for those of us who have ever felt alone or rejected or shameful or helpless or weak. The kingdom of heaven is for you. It is good news. So in Matthew 4, in our passage today, uh, Matthew is giving us an introduction to Jesus' ministry. This is the very beginning of Matthew's account of Jesus' ministry. And so he gives a little bit of an introduction to that because the following chapters will be all about his ministry. And we see right away in verse 12 that the sun is setting on the ministry of John the Baptist because his purpose, his ministry, was to say the Messiah is coming. So the sun is setting on the need for John the Baptist's voice. And the sun is rising on the ministry of Jesus. And Matthew says that Jesus has chosen Galilee as the place to reveal the kingdom of heaven. And as he invites all people to be part of that. Well, why Galilee? Matthew makes a point to tell us that Jesus intentionally moved from his small rural town of Nazareth to Capernaum, and that Jesus' ministry would be in the area of Galilee, which basically stretched from the Jordan across to the Mediterranean Sea. Why Galilee? Well, I tell you today that Galilee was actually a center for outcasts and underdogs. You see, to the Jews, this was the place where the Assyrian invasion began. The exile began. This place north is the, was the first to be hit and carried off in captivity. It was the first place to experience utter devastation. And in Isaiah, as Matthew quotes here, we see that that same place, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those were uh, tribes of Israel, so indicating where their land was. It was basically the land of Galilee. The way of the sea, the Mediterranean, all the way to the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those 
living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah foretells that this is where the Messiah will be, and Matthew says, Jesus picked this place on purpose. One, because the place that experienced devastation first was going to be the place to first experience the dawn of a new light, the coming of the Savior. The outcasts and the underdogs were going to be the first to experience the light. Also, in modern day, in current day, in Jesus' day, Galilee um, was mostly Jewish people, but they were not respected among the religious leaders of Jerusalem, the religious Jewish elite, because most Galileans were just ordinary people. There weren't a lot of religious elite in Galilee. They were ordinary, and so they were considered sort of backwater, even though they really weren't. This is how I felt about telling people I was from Peoria growing up. (laughs) So Galilee was a place filled for the Jews with underdogs. And we see that Jesus intentionally left Nazareth, this small place, to live in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a trade route because it was right on the sea. So even though it, too, was a Jewish city, it was a place where all of the people in the surrounding areas, Galilee was surrounded by major Greek cities. The Decapolis, we see later in the passage, that's the ten cities that had been planted um, uh, together. And they're a place um, of importance in the Roman Empire. And uh, all of these Greek cities surrounded the area. And so the people that would have to travel would travel through Capernaum. So Capernaum maybe was a Jewish city, but it was filled with people from all over the world traveling through. And guess where Jesus decided to start? in the place where all of the peoples, not just the Jews, would get to see the light dawning. Because to the Jews, the Gentiles were certainly the outcasts and the underdogs. They were not the people of God. They were dirty. They were not included in the family. They were unclean. And yet Jesus said, when he began his ministry, I'm going to start in a place that is filled with outcasts and underdogs. Can you see it? Matthew really likes to point out the outcasts and the underdogs, if you look through the book of Matthew. In his genealogy, he includes four unexpected women who were not Jewish. If you were a Jewish reader, you would start reading and you'd be like, wait, what are they doing in the list? They're not part of us. Matthew loved to focus on the portion of the, in the birth story of Jesus, the portion about the Magi. They weren't included in the family of, of Israel. Later on in the, in the book, um, Matthew accounts for Jesus' conversation with a woman from Cana, who would have been a woman from the area who was not Jewish, and they have a conversation about whether or not she as a dog, could eat from the table, eat the crumbs of the table of the children. And this 
prompts a question. Were the Canaanites as good, as worthy as the Jews? Matthew likes to point this out. And here, at the end of the passage, we see it again. In verse 25, Matthew points out that large crowds from Galilee were following Jesus in his ministry. But who did it include? It also included people from the Decapolis, the Greeks. And it also included the region across the Jordan. Now, what was this? So Galilee went up to the Jordan. And we hear stories of Jesus getting in the boat and going across to the other side. And uh, if you remember the story of Jesus uh, casting out demons from pigs, Jews would not have owned pigs. The Jews were not on the other side. Beyond the Jordan were not the Jewish people. In fact, um, there was a, a, there's a Jewish writing that says, the land of Canaan, Galilee, is fit to be the habitation of the Shekinah. The Shekinah is shorthand for the light or the glory of God. The land of Canaan is fit for that. Beyond the Jordan is not. That's how they viewed beyond the Jordan. And yet, Jesus went there. And it says Jesus included this intentionally in his ministry. People, the kingdom of God is not just for the religious elite it is not just for the people who are doing everything right. It is for the outcasts and the underdogs. The kingdom of heaven is good news for all of us. Now, Matthew's readers were a Jewish audience, and so reading this introduction to Jesus' ministry, these anomalies to the Jewish community would have leapt off the page and screamed, the Messiah came not just for Israel, but for everyone. It would have been shocking to his readers. And so to anyone who has ever felt like an outcast or an underdog, it screams, you belong in the kingdom of heaven. You who feel small, or insecure, you who might feel afraid or alone, you who feel regret or shame, you who feel weak, you belong. Jesus sees you. Jesus came for you. He came especially for you because the kingdom of heaven is for outcasts and underdogs. Brennan Manning was an American author and speaker, but he was also a Franciscan priest and an alcoholic. And his most famous book was called The Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've never read it, put it on your list immediately. But one of my favorite portions, he writes about what it will be like to be standing before the throne and he looks around at the people gathered with him, and he says he expects to see a prostitute that he walked past in Las Vegas last week. And he expects to see the woman who got an abortion and is haunted by guilt. He expects to see the businessman who was riddled with debt, and in his fear, he made some unsavory transactions. He expects to see 
the insecure clergyman who longed to be liked, liked by his parishioners. He expects to see the sexually abused teen who is falling asleep after his last trick of the night and whispers the name of God in hopes that he was seen. And Brennan writes this, but how, we ask, how are they there? And then the voice says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They are there, and there we are, the multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life, bested by trials, and wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. Folks, the kingdom of heaven is for the outcasts and the underdogs because Jesus shows himself to be a rescuer and a healer. That is what he is doing in his ministry, and that is what Matthew alludes to in this passage. I ask you, do you need to know the rescue and healing of Jesus? As you think about your experiences of being an outcast or an underdog, do you need Jesus' healing? It's available to you. Sometimes we don't, we walk through life assuming it's not. We never ask him to heal those places in us. We assume we have to cover them up or compensate. But Jesus' healing is readily available to you if you ask. And I found an extra powerful experience when we do that in community. The book of James tells us that when we confess to one another, we find healing. There's something in the construction world called sistering. Does anyone do construction? Sistering happens when a joist, which is a wooden beam that's carrying the weight, usually of the floor or the, the roof, and when a joist becomes weak, maybe it's because it's been damaged by fire or water or something, it's been weakened, or there needs to be, there's an extra weight coming, maybe there's extra con construction coming, and it's too weak for the task. The uh, construction worker, what's he called? The builder, the builder. The builder will take another joist along the side of that joist and nail it in, and sometimes on both sides. And it's called sistering. I find it interesting that they use a family term, a family relationship term for what's happening for coming alongside the weak one. Do we expect that of our family members in the church? If we did, we would pursue healing in community with each other. I wanna tell you too that sometimes healing comes when we're in proximity with others who have been marginalized, who have felt like outcasts and underdogs, and we learn from their walk with Jesus. 
This was the case for me last, about a year ago, when I signed up for a class at North Park that met at Stateville Correctional Center. Now, if you don't know, Stateville is a maximum security prison in the southern suburbs near Joliet. And I signed up for a class that would meet inside the walls, and my classmates would be men who are living at Stateville. And I've got to be honest, I was a little nervous about what that experience would be like. But when I got to know them, their walk with Jesus transformed me. And I met Jesus in those walls. I actually have a short video to show you because it's so hard to put into words what that experience was like. I was about to go in one day and a friend said to me, go be Jesus in, as you go in. And I'm like, actually, I go in there and I find Jesus in there. Not only are your friends involved in gangs, but family members are in gangs. So the gang life has always been entrenched into our community and that's how we view things. And I just grew up drinking to cope with the traumas that I experienced in my neighborhood. Alcohol abuse was a problem in my family. It ultimately led to me leaving home at an early age. I used to hear bullets flying past my ears. My dad was killed, you know, in gun violence. I grew up without a father, and then like, I, I see so many other, my friends growing up without fathers. The Word of God says that we are to visit the prisoners. Doesn't matter what they've done. We don't get to decide who we visit or why we visit them. So the program grew into a four-year uh, Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry um, and the, the goal of the program is to prepare people to do ministry in contexts that are susceptible to violence, which prisons of course are. I was excited to take the class inside the prison um, because I knew that it, it would be putting me in proximity with with those who are in the system and then it's learning how the system affects people and their families. I've never had the one-on-one -on -one relationships and the connections and putting faces to names and stories to faces um, until this class. Our outside students don't have a rap sheet that anybody else can look up and say, oh, what sins have they committed lately? Even though you may have done things in the past, you know, this doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. You know, you can get past that, you know. I shouldn't be alive today, to be honest with you. It had not God intervened in my life the way he has. One of the things that they've been able to start to do in this program is to look at their own trauma and to try to find healing. And so to break those cycles in themselves, 
and then once they've found some healing to be able to be agents of breaking those cycles of violence. I'm actually ministered to and I find Jesus in a way that I've never experienced Jesus. I find um, a dimension of God that I've never seen um, through the men that I've gotten to know within the prison. The education that I receive and this hope that I have that I'll be able to use it in the world to bring something good in the lives of other individuals, I think that's more than a degree itself. I want to help end that cycle, you know, the cycle that I grew up in because it's vicious. I realize that my calling is teaching, but teach God's word in a way that is powerful, uplifting, positive, and liberating. I don't see those barriers any longer. And so that's the one thing that I actually look forward to doing when I get out with this education is breaking down those barriers because I know them to be anti-gospel. Without this course, I would still will be wondering what's gonna happen with me, you know? But now it's just, I have so much hope. I have so much hope, you know, that this is, something that's getting me prepared for something that, that God has in store for me. We hosted a Lauren Daigle concert at Stateville. They were gonna be singing along with some of the men to do a couple of joint pieces for everybody. And she said to me, please don't let this be the last time I'm in here. We need to be in here. And when they were singing the last song, which was one of the Gaither hymns, something beautiful, something good, one of my students, my outside students, turned to me and said, the gospel sounds really different in here. Every word that we sing about all the time, freedom, liberation, forgiveness, it means something really different in here. And there was one moment when we went into the Panopticon and the environment is so inhumane that most of them in the world shut down and this particular one shut down last year. We went in there into that space, which is a space that, that can feel like visiting a site where you know people have died, have suffered. Um, when we went in there, it, we were silent for a moment and Lauren Daigle just started singing Amazing Grace in this space and it echoed off the walls and I thought this is analogous that there is redemption happening everywhere and who are we to keep the walls that human beings put up who are we to keep people out and to think that God isn't working inside the walls just as he is working outside those walls because the barriers that human beings make between themselves and other human beings are anti-gospel And my hope is that when our students graduate and possibly are transferred to other prisons across the state of Illinois, that our students who are incarcerated bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single prison in the state of Illinois, and that they themselves are the agents of change on the ground, loving these men that they may be incarcerated with for the rest of their lives. But Jesus is there. Love them. 
the line in that video that most resonates with me was when the one student turned to our professor and said, the gospel sounds really different in here. And this is what happens, friends, when we choose, like Jesus, to walk alongside those who are outcasts and underdogs. You see, in the middle of this passage, in this sandwich of passage, in the very middle, we see a more specific story of Jesus interacting with in his ministry. And while these fishermen, these two sets of brothers, themselves were not poor peasants, they were ordinary Galilean men. And when he called them to follow him, what did he say that meant? It meant, when you follow me, I will make you a fisher of people just like me. And so it makes sense that when we walk alongside the marginalized or the outcasts or the person who doesn't feel comfortable setting foot in a church or the person that the, our, our society has thrown away, and when we walk alongside those people, we taste Jesus. And the gospel looks really different than when we are just coming to church every week and hearing words like salvation and freedom just within these walls with other people who already know that freedom. It sounds really different when we take seriously Jesus' invitation to fish with him. Now, we get anxious when we start talking about this kind of, these passages. Being fishers of men, we start to get a little anxious. Doesn't that mean I have to be some pushy televangelist person? No. What we see is that Jesus walked alongside those who didn't feel comfortable hanging out with the religious elite. And when you walk with Jesus, he invites you to do that with him. And guess what? You get to watch Jesus be Jesus. You get to watch the Holy Spirit show up and do his job, and it is like nothing else. And I say to people, if you in your walk with God are feeling numb and stagnant, it's probably because you're not fishing. You aren't walking with Jesus alongside those who are outcasts and underdogs and watching what he does. So this passage has two questions for us today. One, are you someone who needs the healing of Jesus? Because it is readily available to you. And I invite you to pursue his healing in this community. Have a conversation. Ask someone to pray with you. Ask someone to walk with you over the next couple months as you process your pain or your shame. Find healing because it is available. We don't have to just compensate and cover up. Are you someone who needs healing? Because the kingdom of heaven is for you. And the other question Matthew asks us is, are you fishing? Are you walking in proximity with outcasts and underdogs? And if you're not, Jesus says, you are missing out on the work I'm doing. 
In fact, if your answer was yes, no, if your answer was no, I'm sorry. If I ask, let me rephrase this. If I ask the question, are you fishing? And your answer is not currently. That's not part of my life. Then we do have an opportunity coming up that I am excited to tell you about. And you'll be hearing more about in the next weeks. It's called the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is a very special nine-week class, so to speak, where we invite people we love who do not yet walk with Jesus or who have significant questions about spirituality. And we invite them to come to this course with us. And then we watch the Holy Spirit do his thing. Because in the Alpha Course, the very definition of what it means to be a fisher of people gets turned on its head. See, we think it means I have to be someone who's like really um, extroverted or really good with explaining spiritual truths or really like all the things that I cannot be. <laughs> we think that's what it is. But really, it's walking along someone who is not yet part of the kingdom and letting them encounter Jesus. Come and see. That's all it is. Come and see. And so I encourage you to pay attention in the next few weeks. We're going to give you ways to be part of this Alpha Course by praying, by inviting, by volunteering. If you're someone who says, I'm not fishing, and you're missing out on what God's doing, then I invite you to be watching for that. The kingdom of heaven, friends, is especially for outcasts and underdogs. And that means you, and that means people who are not yet inside of these walls. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this picture of light dawning in the darkness. Because our pain and our shame feels like walking in darkness. And thank you that you came to bring light so we don't have to stumble around anymore. You came to rescue us and bring healing. Thank you that your ministry on earth showed us that. We pray that you'll give us the courage to pursue that healing that you have available for us. Lord, and thank you for the invitation to fish with you. And we ask, would you make us, would you put us in proximity with other outcasts and underdogs that we could see you do what you're good at and bring light into darkness? We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both today and forever. And may you walk in the assurance of that peace wherever today may take you. Amen.